St. John, welcome to the Post Sermon Podcast. I am Deaconess Dahlia, and with me today is Pastor Adam. Hey, Deaconess. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm all right. So today we're discussing your sermon from this past Sunday. Can you tell us about the text that you preached on? Uh, yeah, this comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, and it's often referred to as the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, and it's about a, uh, a Jesus tells this parable about two men that go up to the temple to pray. Uh, you have the Pharisee in his uh, very center-focused prayer, and you have the tax collector who goes up, and you have his repentant, uh, beggarly sort of prayer. And what is the central teaching of the sermon? Uh, the central teaching of the sermon is that our God, who hears beggars, forgives all of our sins. So how did you go about bringing the central teaching into your sermon. Uh, The opening uh, verse of the reading says that Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So we get a little interesting commentary from Luke here that Jesus is talking to this audience and this is, these are the sorts of sins that this audience has. And you know, you can just make that connection that it's Pharisees uh, by nature of the parable. And at the very end, right, Jesus says, uh, those who exalt themselves be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so I thought those ideas would frame my approach of the parable. And that's why I start off the sermon talking about uh, selfies and you know taking photos of ourselves and just that kind of desire to always put ourselves in the best light. And I thought that'd be a way to kind of connect into the the Pharisee because when you read the parable, and just naturally, no one wants to be called a Pharisee. I'm assuming you don't, Deaconess. No, I don't. No, I, I don't think I've ever called you a Pharisee. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. And uh, no one wants to do that. And so immediately, when we read uh, this parable, and we hear these words with, with our ears and our eyes, we already know, like, we don't want to be in Team Pharisee, of course. But Jesus is reminding us here that those who put trust in themselves those who treat others with contempt, that is pharisaical behavior. And so I was trying to think, how do I, how do I help bring my hearers along into, yeah, I do see those things about myself. And that was kind of my idea with the selfie thing. But then also, as a tax collector, it's not like it's a great option either, but that's the one you want to be. But why is it? Um, very easy, you can kind of turn this parable into, well, just do what he did. Just follow his words and make sure you sit in the back of church or something like that. No, it's, he's got nothing to offer. And thank goodness he has the God who has everything to give him. And that is our standing before God is that we are beggars. And so uh, that was kind of my, I th- at least the challenge I thought of with the text was how to, um, how to help us identify with Pharisees and recognize that about our sinfulness but also to recognize that we have nothing going for ourselves. It's not just go and do likewise like this be, uh, like this tax collector, but to recognize he has nothing to offer, nor do we. We're, we're beggars before God who gives us everything. I really like that line in there that you talked about evangelism and beggars. How did that go again? Uh, yeah, it was a, a quote I sort of stumbled across uh, in prepping for the Second Corinthians Bible study, and it just kind of came out of the blue in one of the commentaries I was looking at, that evangelism... It's essentially one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I find that quite humbling and uh, a really nice description of what the Christian faith is. There's a story attributed to Luther at his death that after he died, they found like a crumpled piece of paper in his hand that had the words, oh, we are beggars, this is true. 
And that is always our standing before God uh, because we have nothing going for ourselves to, to save ourselves or give us a higher standing. But it's the Lord Jesus who gives us everything we need and more. And that's how we can, if you will, rid our pharisaical filters. Is that the term you used? <laughs> Fun alliteration, Deaconess. Yeah, pharisaical filters is not that we can really do anything, but asking God for mercy, right, to help us with that. Yeah, yeah. And so in a lot of ways, um, by looking at these two men in the parable, you know, first I want us to see us standing before God is that we are beggars. In full blast, God gives us all the grace, all the forgiveness. He restores us. He washes us clean of our sin by the blood of Jesus. That's our passive righteousness. But when it comes to, so what from here? How do I conduct myself? How do I live as a Christian? It is that removing of our pharisaical sorts of behavior, of putting trust in ourselves and treating others with contempt. And so there's our act of righteousness. And so it's, it's neat to see the, the parable in the lens of two kinds of righteousness as well. I also think of like the language of repentance with this. I mean, we don't necessarily have this and that word being used in the parable, but it does say here that the tax collector went down to his house justified. So then would you say when he's beating his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner, like being repentant there? Yeah. Yeah. And I also like how next chapter and Chapter 19, you get uh, Jesus and Zacchaeus. And it's it's easy to kind of read that story of, okay, now just follow Zacchaeus' example, and that's what, you know, now you're a Christian, you're saved. But no, hold both tax collectors together. You have the kind of the unnamed tax collector who's justified before his God because he is a he's a beggar. And God, by grace, gives him all that he needs and more. And then coming down from the temple and going back into his life, now we have... Zacchaeus, and he goes and he, in his act of righteousness, repays those he's stolen from fourfold. But yeah, that is interesting, just that Zacchaeus was after this um, this parable and him being an actual tax collector. And like you said, to see his good work follow um, this. Yeah, the gospel's this changed. Repentance, him. or yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But it does seem in this parable we're seeing like a contrite spirit of this tax collector right? in a way that maybe you don't quite see in the Zacchaeus story as much, but it's not, of course it was still there. Just, I think there's also just something to think about when we have the confession of sins during worship. I mean, personally, it's kind of nice to hide with the group when we all say it together. Right. (laughs) And it's not just me individually making that confession of sins. Um, And, you know, I, that might be a bit of a drawback with the corporate confession and public absolution like that. And at the same time, everyone in that room, regardless, is confessing the same reality. Right? We have not loved God with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And that we all justly deserve his uh, present and eternal punishment. And that absolution is for everyone as well in that room. So I have a here submitted question that has to do with the text. In Luke 9:14a, it says, "I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other." So emphasis on going down to his house. So is that part down to his house referring to 
the common practice of building temples in the high places or highest place in a village, town, or city? If so, what does this say about Americans' propensity of being pharisaical about our own legal and broadcast media messages of rightness, particularly in light of our propensity for building courthouses and broadcast towers in high places? There's a lot in that There's question. There's a lot in that question, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so let's, let's start in the text. We'll start in Jesus' day, and then we'll work towards uh, more of those details in the question. So uh, just historically, the, the temple in Jerusalem was built on a higher place. You hear, like, the Temple Mount. Um, we're going up to the temple. You get this re- repeatedly. It is this, you know, this ascending up the mountain or the, or the high place. In the Old Testament... Uh, the the phrase high place comes up a bunch. Uh, the the word is Obama, uh, and the plural is Bamoth. Uh, you have these high places, and especially in the books of First and Second Kings and Second Chronicles, you have uh, that expression about eighty times. And this is where the different kind of paganistic stuff was going on. You you might get reference to you know this king uh, was a wicked king, and part of what made him wicked was he did not tear down the high places, or you know, so-and-so, not so bad of a king, but he also didn't tear down the high places. I mean, these were, yeah, these were these centers of cultic worship and pagan worship. And uh, I think what the question is getting towards as well is we do confess a lot by how we construct our lives and build our cities and societies. Uh, location, location, location. And it, it matters uh, where we build things or I was even just thinking how often um certain building codes are, are set up to elevate certain buildings over others so I was thinking like Washington DC right the what's the law there that no building can be taller than the U.S. Capitol oh I didn't realize that was a law yeah, yeah so the only exception is the, the Washington Monument right and then you have um like Texas or right? Austin Texas brags about how their state capital is taller than the U.S. Capitol it's uh Sounds like a very Texas sort of I you know way of being, <laughs> um, but how we construct our stadiums, how we arrange our societies, you know what what goes where, um, it's n- the idols are still true today. The idols of the high places are still around. We just rebranded them and just have different you know facades and building codes associated with them. But we should be mindful of that just how we arrange our lives, how we arrange our societies. And we shouldn't be surprised, regardless whether it's an American context or elsewhere, how we arrange our spaces, you know, within our homes, within our gathering spaces, within our whole cities. Uh, our idols are rather evident. That is really fascinating. I love this question. I thought it is something I never thought of, but you're right. Like in this day and age, what's in the higher places tends to be our secular temples, whether that's a stadium or a big business or concert venue, et cetera. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and, and let's turn into a, a bit of a positive direction too, is just what delight and opportunity we have in how we arrange our homes and our societies and even our places of worship. So even just like within our home, uh, what sort of imagery or art do we have up? You know, where do you have a, a cross hanging in your home? Uh, what What's prominent on bookshelves and um, even the sorts of art that we adorn our spaces with that remind us of, even even this dwelling belongs to the Lord. When we arrange our worship spaces, I mean, I love the sanctuary here at St. John. I mean, it's, it was what built, I mean, the new one built in 99. And you, at least to me, it doesn't have that 
quality of, oh, it was built in the 90s. It, it has a sort of timelessness to it already. And you walk in there and our eyes are immediately lifted upwards by the high ceilings. The windows draw our eyes and they tell the story of God saving us. Um, how we arrange our buildings, how we arrange our lives, it, it confesses so much. And we have an opportunity to uh, even do that in, in our profession of faith too. Well, this wraps up the episode for today. Thank you for listening to our discussion. Bamoth, high places. Yes, thank you. Bamoth. In case you missed the sermon or you'd like to listen to it again, the link to the sermon's in the show notes. And you can also find it on our church website, stjohndublin.org. If you, the listener, would like to submit a question about a sermon, please email us at podcast at stjohndublin.org. Thank you, Pastor, for joining me and for feeding us the word this week. The word of the week is bamoth. Bamoth. Let's tear down the high places. All right. Thanks, everyone. Take care, you guys. Bye. Bye.